Hello, world, and welcome to another episode of Roots of Change, a weekly podcast all about liberation, anti-oppression work, and how coaching can help us build stronger movements. We start by looking at the way that we are still invested in the systems that harm us and ask what we can do to change that. I'm your host, Rebecca Markley, and I am a coach, a tenant organizer, a leftist, and I really want to change the world. And if you're like, hey, that's me too, I invite you to stick around. Today, I have a guest with me. Her name is Jamie Rabenberg, who calls herself a Jill of all trades. Jamie makes art. She had a... Nope, try again. And if you're like, hey, that's me too, I invite you to stick around. Today I have a guest with me. Her name is Jamie Rabenberg, and she calls herself a Jill of all trades. I think we can all relate. Um, Jamie makes art. She has a history of political organizing and a background in anthropology and is doing cool shit in the tech world. And all of those things are really relevant because we're talking about gift giving and how our cultural norms around giving gift-giving, and exchange reflect our values. One of my favorite plays, or one of my favorite Shakespeare plays, actually, is uh, Timon of Athens. If you aren't familiar with Timon of Athens, like, please don't worry. It's not a very well-known play, and the only reason why I know about it is because it happened to be included in the syllabus of a philosophy of Shakespeare class that I took when I was in college. Um, And then I ended up actually seeing it at the Oregon Shakespeare Festival, I think in 2015. I don't remember exactly, but it was incredible. They did a wonderful job. Um, Actually, the their their take on the play was like so communist that like it triggered the the old libs so much that like half of the audience left during intermission. It was kind of incredible. And I think because of that whole experience, it's why it's one of my favorite Shakespeare plays. Um, But anyway, in Timon of Athens, it's about this rich guy, Timon, who lives in Athens, and um, he likes to put on a lot of big parties for his other rich friends. And essentially, he just like spends himself into squalor. He goes around to ask his friends for help. But he does this whole thing where he's like, oh, I was so generous with you. You now owe me. And uh, can you help me out here? Um, So in my class, we talked about time and of Athens through the lens of social capital, like the currency of relationships and favors. And we explored our own expectations and ideas around gift giving and favors. And I remember feeling really, really icky about having a set of expectations that came with a gift. My gift-giving ideals are really centered on like this whole no-strings-attached idea that a gift is its own thing, and adding things onto it kind of detracts from like the meaning of the gift. But in my conversation that I have with Jamie, I realize that gifts are a form of exchange, and maybe it's my own inoculation within our capitalist system that I feel so icky about it. Um, And so I just kind of wanted to give you a little bit of a background before we head into my conversation with Jamie. And uh, yeah, that's what's up next after this quick break.
Well, hello, Jamie. Thank you so much for joining me on the Roots of Change podcast today. I hope you've been well. Thanks for having me. Yeah. Um, Jamie is a really rad human being in the world. Um, I'll let you talk about yourself because I want, I want to hear it in your voice. Oh, goodness. Um, I have a bit of a Jill of all trades background. Um, I am infinitely curious about things. So when I get the opportunity to do something new, I, um, I often take it and dive in and um, learn along the way. Um, most recently, um, I've been working as a startup founder um, in the tech space, um, building software to help engineering teams. Um, I also work as a consultant helping um, small businesses. Um, I love helping um, particularly women-led small businesses um, find their um, product market fit um, and find their audience and be successful. Um, I'm an artist. I love to paint and create. Um, so I try and spend a little time doing that all the time. Um, <laughs> all I love the time. that. Yes. <laughs> um, and, uh, you know, in my background, I've been a farmer. I've been a political organizer. Um, I've done uh, community outreach, uh, particularly uh, um, within civil rights organizations. Um, and for a long time, I was an anthropology researcher. Oh my gosh. Absolutely amazing. I feel like all of the things I'm so interested by all the things that you listed. And I feel like there's just such a good like combination of all of my favorite things in you as a human being. So thank you again for joining us um, on the pod today. Um, I do have a question about what's visible in your Zoom background. I see, is that a painting that you're currently working on? Uh, the painting on my wall, mm -hmm. um, that is actually a painting I did many years ago. Oh. Um, and um, Rebecca and I um, know each other from a... Um, a community organization called the Vessel Society. Um, and Rebecca knows that I have a number of crow paintings that are up there. Um, so yes. this is actually the original Corvid wow. um, in my life. It's beautiful. And for those of you who can't see, it's just this like kind of like tall vertical painting and there's just like beautiful, like gradient of gray. And then there's just the single crow that's kind of like looking over its shoulder um, to the, I guess to my right, I don't know if that's accurate and how the video mirrors are, are flipped. Um, but looking to the right off of the, off of the painting, it's just, it's beautiful. And I'm glad it's in the background and we got to talk about it. Thank you. All right. So today we're talking about gift giving and exchange. And this was a conversation that sort of evolved, um, over just kind of like a, a, a casual conversation that we had um, at our community space, the vessel a couple of, like a month ago about, do you think that's accurate? Yeah, that's probably accurate. Yeah. I and don't it know. Was, who knows what yeah, time, who knows is, what time is all kinds of fucked up. <laughs> but um, we were talking about uh, gift giving and exchange. And I don't really remember how exactly we got onto the topic, but 
Um, I remember we were both really interested in it and we were just like, hmm, there's something good here. Let's keep following this this thread and kind of see like what gold we can cover uncover on the other side. And so that's kind of like where where this came from. And is there, is there anything that you wanted to add? You know, I don't remember the exact origin of our conversation either, other than it was December. And I, you know, I can't imagine why we might have been talking about gifts. Yeah, you know, no idea. <laughs> Um, but yeah, it was a really interesting, uh, conversation to sort of center on. Um, and I think, uh, one of the reflections that I've had that, that we just were talking about actually a little bit ago is like, why is this an interesting topic to us? Like, mm -hmm. um, and how I think that we are really hungry for different forms of exchange and the fact that, um, we live with this burden of capitalism and, and all of the things it, it takes away and it extracts from us. Yes. Um, and I think part of our conversation that day was really inspired by like having an exciting conversation about an alternative. Yeah. An alternative. Like what if our modes of exchange were not super extractive? Like, wouldn't that be amazing? Um, wouldn't that be cool? Um, you had an example that you wanted to talk about of like a, a good example of exchange that felt very reciprocal. When we were talking earlier, you know, I brought up, um, you know, how much of um, the food that I actually took home to my own plate when I was farming um, was either a product of my labor or the product of the exchange of food, my food with another farmer's food. And so, you know, we'd go to the farmer's markets and generally at the end of the market, you'd go around and you'd make exchanges with the other farmers. Um, and everybody had extra of something um, and you had extra of something that, that somebody else needed. Um, and I, I talk, when I talk about and reflect on that time, some of the things I think about is how incredibly monetarily poor I was, right? Mm -hmm. um, it's hard to make money as a farmer in the United States, yeah. um, as, especially a small vegetable farmer. Um, and, but it's, I ate better than any time I've ever eaten in my life. Um, and uh, it was both the fruits of my labor, but the fruits of other people. And we didn't exchange money for them. It was actually really rare to ever have money involved in those transactions. Um, it was, you know, my tomatoes for your eggs. Wow. That's like beautifully simple. So simple. And it like literally is a, an exchange of like the work that you've done and like the literal like harvest. Like, I feel like there's a lot of like metaphor that we use to talk about exchange that uses the same kind of idea, but like here you were doing that, like quite literally exchanging, like yeah, your, your zucchini for eggs, um, giving away your abundance of tomatoes. Um, I feel like 
having like knowing other people who have tomatoes in their garden is one of my favorite things because I feel like everyone's always just like trying to like offload their garden tomatoes to you. And I feel like in the summertime, there's like a couple of weeks in July when everybody's just drowning in tomatoes. And that's like, I'm really glad that I don't have a garden as someone who lives in an apartment because it just seems like a lot of upkeep to do. And I can like barely keep track of the things in my life. But I love knowing people who do have gardens for those like weeks in July when you are drowning in tomatoes. And then I get to like just have some extra because that just feels really good. A friend of mine uh, this past summer, I remember posted on a a certain social media channel um, that they were open for taking people's egg or um, zucchini abundance. Um, And and several people commented that um, they weren't sure they knew what they were asking for. As of course, zucchini plants are notoriously overwhelming. (laughs) Absolutely. Yes. Everyone is making zucchini red and trying to like offload all of their zucchinis. Um, Mm -hmm. Definitely. I feel like it's one of those like beautiful examples of really, really positive reciprocity. Um, And it's really, you know, really easy to embody. I feel like sometimes when we think about a lot of these like new, like philosophical and political concepts, it's kind of hard to wrap our brains around because we're so indoctrinated in our capitalist society. Um, But here's like a beautiful example of just like, you have what I need. I have too much of what you need. Let's do a little swapperoo. Mm -hmm. And And barter and trade like this, these system, these economies have been around for, you know, millennia, as long as humans have been around. Mm -hmm. Um, And gifting is a little bit different, um, you know, because gifting is, um, in theory, um, at least the perfect gift, the free gift um, uh, is, is a system of Mm non-reciprocity. And I think our fascination with it um, is sort of centered on this idea of the perfect or the free gift. But in fact, like, um, you know, one of the things that um, study of gifting um, has, has actually shown is that that concept of free gift is actually really kind of uncommon. Mm-hmm. Um, and that, um, you know, if you look at, Um, anthropology and sociology um, and the study of gifting habits in different cultures and societies um, that in fact gifting as a practice um, does have elements of reciprocity and and even transactional natures to them Um, and so um, but we're but we are fascinated with it because the idea is that you like you the the gift the act of giving actually like becomes bigger than the gift itself. Mm, I love that so much. Like it sort of becomes larger than like the sum of its parts. It sort of becomes this like larger like collective practice. Um, I'm sort of also reminded of a lot of the mutual aid work that I helped um, sort of like you know try to create and 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 building of of you know, these like resilient community networks um, throughout the pandemic. Um, I think mutual aid is is one of those 
other kind of examples where we're trying to sort of make this um, like positive reciprocal exchange viable. Um, and and I, I kind of like wrestle with this idea of 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 not not being sure where I really stand on the idea of mutual aid. Like I don't know necessarily if I am completely bought into the idea that it is like revolutionary. That's not to say that I don't feel like there is value in it because I definitely am. I partake in it and I practice mutual aid and I do think it's very important. Um, but I I maybe that's like the political education that I still need to do with myself here. Um, you know, like I have things to learn about mutual aid as a, as a revolutionary practice. Um, but I definitely mm. do see it as like building compa- capacity and it's this really like radically different idea of exchange where you give what you can and you take what you need um, and if we're like able to do that, like think about like how much more capacity we would all have in the world. And I feel like you can really see this um, with people who really like get in the practice of using like uh, like buy nothing groups or like, um, mm. you know, barter and trade Facebook groups and networks where people can like I've seen photos of people who have like completely furnished their entire living room beautifully done with objects that mean something to them all out of things that they found in those buy nothing groups. And so like, it's not just like, I feel like when I think about mutual aid, I sort of like cringe because I can just like imagine my like old, like thrifty grandma who grew up during the depression and like pun- like penny pinched everything and would like always try to like buy me like ill-filled, ill-fitting clothes on like, uh, you know, like on, on the side of the road. And it was always just like very like, I don't know. It felt very like scarcity mindset driven rather than this alternative Mm. of, of like this, like positive exchange, like somebody is giving what they have extra of or what they don't need anymore. And you can use that and sort of gives that object or that, or that item a new life. Um, And it is still a part of that larger, um, you know, like community practice of, of, you know, reciprocity, not to like sound really redundant, but at the end of the day, that's really what it is. Yeah, no, I agree. I love, I love what you talked about there with your example of your grandmother, um, and the, the kind of scarcity mindset versus the abundance mindset. And, um, and, you know, it's the difference between charity Mm. and, and, um, community right? Yeah. Um, And like, think about the last time you went into a goodwill and whether or not you felt like that was a particularly communal place to be. Yeah. Um, Not particularly. No, it doesn't. (laughs) Um, Even if you do find a gem now and then, um, I think that, um, you know, what is revolutionary about mutual aid, it doesn't have to be um, new and Mm -hmm. it doesn't have to be, um, complex or complicated or hard. Like what's revolutionary about it is that it's not something that's being practiced at large. Um, and you know, it is something that has been practiced. Um, you know, churches have practiced it, um, different cultures have practiced 
forms of reciprocal exchange. And so this isn't new, mm-hmm. um, but it it is so um, much in opposition and conflict to the capitalist economy that we currently live in, that that's what makes it revolutionary. Mm, I really, I really love that. Um, I, I'm sort of like getting, you know, like getting like good, like values vibes from what you're saying, like this, our, our current practices of exchange kind of like are inoculated in the larger system of capitalism. And I feel like that though, that those like extractive values that we just like talk about on this podcast all the time and how they like impact our lives um, are, are really present in kind of like how we sort of like cringe, or at least I cringe when I think about like transactional exchanges. I feel like I might just, my heart just kind of like crumbles a little bit. And like that, I think is just more of like a symptom of it existing within this like larger, um, extractive economic system. And I think really, oh, go ahead. You know, using your example of the buy nothing group, right? Like if we take the, like, we furnished a living room and everything that came from it was from buy nothing. And it looked like great, like mm-hmm. and it had value and all of these things. Home Depot and Ikea and um, Pier One Imports, like none of them made money on that, mm-hmm. right? None yeah. of them were able to extract value from that experience. Facebook was. Yeah, because uh, <laughs> it's a platform and ads. But, but, but there were fewer participants in the value extraction there. Mm-hmm. Um, and you could have made that same room either way, but one actually built community and the other, you know, gave Ikea a little more money in their pocketbook. Yeah. I'm also just like thinking about it from our consumer culture too, a little bit here where there was not even really any kind of like participation in that community consumer exchange. Like these were all objects that had already had a life. And instead of just like throwing them and making waste out of them, um, they were Mm -hmm. actually just able to just be continued on. Like they're, they were still able to be used. Um, And I think that that is also really, really meaningful. Um, and okay. I I feel like I'm starting to see where it is a little bit revolutionary and I, and I, and I feel like I can kind of like get behind it more as like a revolutionary idea. I mean, you're totally right. When you say like, it doesn't need to be new. I feel like I'm definitely somebody who falls into the habit of like throwing the baby out with the bathwater whenever I want to like start something new. I'm like blank slate, everything, everything has to go. And when you were talking about like learning from, you know, like the wisdom of these traditions, like that is also very valuable. And like, what can we learn from other more reciprocal modes of exchange? And, 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 and can we actually apply them in our world right now and as we start to work towards building a better world yeah i think um there are old models um that we can look at there's probably a lot of new models as well Mm -hmm. um but i think you know 
one thing about like that blank slate, it's helpful. It helps us to, to like have a moment of saying, what do we want it to look like? How should it be? What do we do if we get rid of these chains that bind us to an old mm-hmm. custom and old way of doing something? Um, yeah, that's definitely why something I, better from it, right? Yeah, that's definitely but, why I like it. <laughs> but the pitfall in it is that um, we, you know, are doomed to repeat the past, as the saying goes, and yeah. um, and you know, we don't want to forget all of those lessons that we learned, um, whether those lessons came from failure or success. Um, they're important for us to keep with us, and you know better find value in the things that have come before we'll we'll probably find them again. Yeah. I feel like that's like something that I really had to like learn on like a deep, like personal level. I feel like I've, I'm, I'm definitely somebody who, who likes the reinvention process and like the, the, the rebuilding process. And like I said, I often then when I am in that mode of thinking, we'll throw the baby out with the bathwater. And then I have to just like, be like, oh, well, I have to start everything from scratch again. And when we are actually able to start of like, kind of like do the both and be able to like have that fresh slate, but then still able to take those like really good lessons um, from our experience um, and also learning from the past, like learning from what worked and what didn't work before. Um, I don't know that that makes it feel like so much less of an, a big undertaking, you know, like it doesn't become as like trying to solve all of the world's problems in a vacuum, you know, like it's actually not that difficult anymore. Yeah. Um, there's a book that a lot of people have, um, probably read, uh, came out about a decade ago by an artist named Austin Cleon, um, called Steal Like an Artist. Yes, I'm Um, familiar. (laughs) Um, and he talks extensively, he wrote an entire book on it, on, um, how to steal other people's ideas and make them your own. And, um, and I think, uh, we have a duty to steal, um, and, um, if we steal other good ideas and build on them, um, we, we can make something, you know, if that's iteration. Yes. That iterative that's evolution. Mm-hmm. I feel like I, I'm always like talking about, um, Adrienne Marie Brown's book, Emergent Strategy. And like that iterative process is something that is, mm. that's like a key foundation, foundational emergent strategy principle. Um, I haven't talked about that a lot on this podcast, probably will in the future. Cause it's really been noodling at my brain. Um, but it's the idea of, um, you know, like doing this, doing the same thing over and over again. And instead of just being like, oh, I'm doing the same thing over and over again. Yes. Oh my God. Jamie just (laughs) held up a holding change, which is actually my backpack on the floor. I've been going through it. Um, but such a good book. Um, I really want to do a study group about holding change as like a facilitator and who does a lot of facilitation and, and not a lot of mediation, but I imagine as I facilitate more, there'll be more mediation that has to come out of that. Um, but it's this like wonderful idea where you have, 
you know, you're doing the same thing over and over and over again, but you're able to find new nuances and um, different perspectives on those same like foundational like ideas that you kind of are just refine, refining and, and, and looking at in um, different ways. And I feel like, yeah, that really takes the pressure off of like, I have to find the perfect actual answer and it needs to be fully crystallized and amazing. Mm-hmm. You can have this much more like this process that really does mimic evolution. Yeah. Adrian Marine Brown is such a great example of an, a thinker, an artist who is unafraid to show her work mm-hmm. um, and to show that process. And I remember reading, um, and I also have this one here, We Will Not Cancel Us, um, first as the blog post. We both uh, have that book on our desks. Literally yeah. holding it up. Um, and uh, reading that that book um, first on her blog um, and then eventually reading the published version of it and like how the entire thing is a conversation with herself and with her audience um, about how we actually move to a more transformative process of healing Mm. um, and and learning um, rather than dismissing and canceling. We've navigated away from we, from gifts. We've definitely <laughs> navigated away from uh, gifts, but I I do feel like we can return to that idea of gift giving as like through that practice of our values. I definitely see a parallel between like how we think of the punitive ideas that we have about accountability come from that same um, like deny you know the the deny diminish and like distance yourself from something like the, I can't remember what it's called, but it's like an acronym that like abusers use. And I, we see that all the time and how we handle um, accountability, how we handle um, conflict within our communities. And I think if we really kind of like go back to this like foundational idea of reciprocal exchange, like how can we apply that reciprocal exchange idea to our relationships, to our communities, even in the simple form as like a conversation as like, how can we both like, you know, get something out of, heal from, transform from this situation. And I feel like there's a definitely like a parallel to be had there. It's kind of like vague and and maybe a little bit of a unrefined process right now, but there is. I think finding um, reciprocal exchange where there is a value of mutual benefit provides a foundation for accountability mm. or can provide a foundation for accountability. Um, and it does so because there's no middle or very rarely a middle, right? And so there's nothing to obfuscate that exchange. There's not a um, seller and a importer and an exporter and a manufacturer and all of these things in between. Mm-hmm. Um, there is the generator and the receiver. Yeah. And, um, and where you have direct 
reciprocal exchange, you have a trusting relationship. Mm-hmm. If I gave another farmer a basket of rotten tomatoes that they couldn't use in exchange for their good produce, I have just um, I have I've just potentially caused a rift in that relationship. Um, there is a lack of accountability there. Yeah. Um, and, you know, certainly, and this is where I think, um, you know, there's a lot of discussion around, you know, the ends of capitalism and currency and, um, you know, currency can be used as a form of reciprocal exchange. So even your kind of act of buying from a local seller, right? Going to a farmer's market and paying cash for an item, but buying it from the farmer and not Mm -hmm. from the supermarket actually gets you closer to a reciprocal relationship with that person. Um, Because you, you are removing all of those points at which value is extracted. And when value is extracted, if you're like using that, like as a, as a one-to-one um, uh, metaphor or, or analogy there, like at every point where value is extracted, the, there's less of a relationship between you and everybody else down the line. Like what you were talking about were those um, those like meet like mediators, so they like obfuscate, they like get in the way and obstruct ourselves from like building those like strong community ties and relationships. I don't know. That's just I just think that I don't know. I just really wanted to like highlight that. That just seemed like really like a really beautiful analogy. Um, to kind of just like go back to our notes here to get us on the yeah, same I'm page. Like, I'm like, where are we? When and I feel like it's done? just this conversation really <laughs> exploded in like the best ways. Why is developing healthier relationships around gifts and giving important? And I feel like we've sort of been answering that a little bit already, but to sort of like bottom line that answer, like what would what would you say? Well, I think that you know, I'm gonna go back to something that we actually Um, you know, haven't talked about since I think our first conversation about this, but like we, you know, we started having this conversation at Christmas time um, when, you know, we're at the height of like consumer madness, gift giving craze. Right. Mm -hmm. And like, um, you know, we all have different traditions within our families and social units around, Um, how we exchange gifts, when we exchange gifts, what are the, you know, rules on thank yous and everything else. And I think, um, you know, one of the things that's really important is for us to like set up conversations around those things and be respectful of like other people's um, understandings and traditions and like try and understand why they have them. And, um, and then like, talk about what a gift means, right? Um, And so we can talk about the ideals of like only giving handmade gifts from local, you know, like. Yeah. But but ultimately like much more important to understand why you're giving gifts, what the obligations are of that relationship, the greater relationship, Mm. right? Um, Then um, in some ways, like what the object is. Yeah, I remember us talking a little bit about like white elephant gift exchanges and how we both kind of agreed that they aren't really like 
gifts. Like they're just a thing that you do to like pawn off other things. It's much more of like, it's much more transactional, I guess, than something that is a gift. And that idea of like what makes a gift a gift is, is really almost the additional things that come with that gift. Um, I'm like reminded again of um, the book Braiding Sweetgrass by Robin Wall Kimmerer. And there's a chapter in there about the gift of strawberries. And she talks about the idea of like harvesting a strawberry is you are you are being given a gift from that strawberry. And as you take that strawberry, you are entering into this almost like this like contract this like set of responsibilities from that strawberry to, to carry on that same, that same gift. Right. So it's not just the strawberry and you just get to eat it and it's tasty and delicious, but you also have this kind of larger set of values and, and almost expectations that kind of go along with that, um, whether it is to, you know, keep on giving in that cycle of reciprocity. Yeah. I, the white elephant gift is a fun one to ponder. Cause I think that there's like, this is one of those great examples where there's like good and bad, right. Mm-hmm. That like, we can actually like illustrate through this one mechanism, like positive values and potentially negative values. Um, Mm -hmm. Right. And so like the white elephant gift exchange that gets a bunch of old friends together um, and they spend several hours enjoying each other's company. And maybe they only see once each other once a year. Mm -hmm. Um, Like it wasn't the gift, the physical gift, the white elephant object that mattered. Yes. It was the gift of the time and the caring and the the showing up. And right? that like relationship labor of like who brought the drinks, like what who made the goodies that you're snacking on, mm-hmm. who's like on the playlist. Right, right. Secret Santa gift exchange at work where you have to buy something for some colleague that works downstairs in accounting that you've met twice. Mm-hmm. That is one of those transactional exchanges or could be one of those transactional exchanges. Um, If you don't do a lot of labor um, that you may or may not be interested in doing. um, And the person on the other end, frankly, may or may not be interested in receiving. Um, Yeah. And so that that's a potentially, you know, a place where those values feel like they're they're not as in play. Um, mm-hmm. And I think the question you have to ask yourself in those situations is like, is there a way where I can bring my values to this exchange? You know, could I go like do some research on the DL and actually like give this person that I don't know a more meaningful experience? There, there's like, you know, intention and like a little bit of like work that kind of needs to go into this this exchange, this, this, this reciprocal exchange. Like it's not just like a, a one and done, um, thoughtless kind of act. It it really Mm -hmm. does almost engage like the whole body. Like, I feel like it's a much more like holistic experience where, you know, you are engaging the heart, the mind, there's like that, like 
mutual connection. So there's like maybe some, some soul there too, some like feely feelies. Um, but at the very least, like it, it really can, it has the opportunity to be that not just, you know, like you swap gifts and hooray and you never think about it ever again. Right. Everybody likes a glass of wine or, you know, whatever it is. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But it's, it's really that like the additional, the additional things that go into that, that make it more special and make it feel actually like a gift, you know, like it, it is, you know, it, yeah. it's sort of like become imbued with meaning. And not that physical gifts are always symbolic, right? Mm-hmm. Like the physical gift is not always just a representation of the values that come with giving that gift. Um, but because sometimes we give gifts that are needed, we give gifts that are, you know, that have value beyond the ceremony. Those are equally important to acknowledge, I guess, is, is what I'm trying to say. They can also be reciprocal. And I think coming back to mutual aid mm-hmm. um, as an example of a situation where these gifts are actually very needed, and the person receiving them may or, may or may not in the moment be able to transact on that. But the idea is that they come back to the community later and are able to give um, buy nothing groups. Again, like got an extra, you know, pint of half and half this week. And next week I'll have that bookshelf that you've been looking for. And I, I love still though, like even when there is that like exchange that's really based in need, um, there's still those opportunities to create those um, to like have your exchange reflect your, your values of community building of like reciprocity, like kind of back to what I was saying before, where like you can, like there's the both and like the both and is possible in these new ways of, of, of thinking about our exchange. And I think that's really kind of like what I'm excited about to sort of like as gift giving or gift giving as, as buy nothing groups and, and sort of like modes of exchange outside of our everyday transactional experience are so important to kind of like explore and evolve um, because they can really, really impact how we start thinking about like the very community that does support us. Like if we are able to create a, a community where mutual aid is, is a very, very big priority and is something that we are all invested in and practicing and giving life to, like that will just open up so much more capacity um, and, and, and power within that organization. Um, like when I, when I just like think about it from like a, a political organizing perspective, and when we are all in relation with each other, when we have that solidarity, um, when we are able to, you know, rely on each other, like we are organized, like that is literally like what organizing is about. Um, and I don't know, there's just so many good applications. I think that's absolutely true. And I think what it, what it, if we can think about, like, this is one of those places where, um, you know, to one of your earlier points about kind of tearing it down and giving yourself a blank slate, this is a starting point that we can choose to look at and say, 
where does a new or a renewed idea of exchange like give us a paradigm to work with mm-hmm. um, to start building from? Oh, I feel like I just love all of the possibilities that like opened up in my brain just now. Oh, I don't know. I just like, I just like want to bask in that for a moment. Like, I know we, we, we talked a little bit about like, you know, decision-making as a practice of the same kind of shared ideas. When we have like these like consensus decision-making practices um, in how we um, sort of like when when I'm thinking about like other examples, you know, when we were talking about, we will not cancel us. Like that's even like another application of that, like reciprocal exchange of like, what is, what is a reciprocal conflict resolution process look like that isn't punitive and, and about like recreating the carceral system. Um, And when we think of like trying to live our values in the world while still like living in the capitalist world, like we can't like not participate in capitalism. Like that's Mm -hmm. how systems work. But when we are able to kind of like align a lot of our business decisions with these practices, these values of reciprocity, um, like we're able to you know, like start chipping away at the capitalist machine. I think that's true. I think that that you have to choose to engage with power, with power. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, we. I think you're absolutely right that like um, trying to completely um, remove yourself from capitalism is um, exceedingly um challenging in in our current world. Um, I think what's interesting about um, these practices is how they sit alongside the systems we already have. And in sitting alongside them serve as a place that we build community, we build power, Mm. we build, um, you know, we build places that, you know, the extractors, frankly, um, are excluded from. Yeah. That may not wipe out capitalism, but it certainly like allows us to lose less to capitalism. I love that reframe of like losing less to capitalism. It's, it's you know, people talk about mutual aid as a community defense Um, And I think this is like another example of like community defense. Like we are, we are doing this to lose less from capitalism. And and I just, I just think that that's, I don't know. I love the way you said that. Yeah. I think that's what we're doing. Absolutely. It's what we're doing. Yeah, that was my conversation with Jamie. Um, And since this is a a coaching podcast and we do a lot of thought work here, I want to encourage you to examine the thoughts that you have about exchange and all of the different exchanges that you participate in. Why are some exchanges gifts and why are some exchanges transactional? What is our emotional attachment to either one of those? 
and what expectations and values come with the different types of exchanges we participate in. And, you know, the big question here is like, how does capitalism warp our perception and understanding of exchanges? Like most things, there isn't going to be a right or wrong answer here. But I feel that it is important for us to think about this whole concept of exchange because it is at the root of so many relationships and it's at the root of our economy. And as you all heard in the conversation with Jamie, how we think about exchange is really a reflection of our values. So yeah, that's all that I have for you this week. Thank you so much for listening. And if you got something out of this conversation, please let me know. Tell me by leaving me a rating and review on Apple Podcasts or wherever you're listening. It really does help me out and gives feedback about what you all are interested in. I will talk to you next week. podcast was recorded in Portland, Oregon, which rests on the unceded and stolen territory of the Multnomah, Cowlitz, Kalamit, Clackamas, Chinook, Tualatin, and many other tribes. I acknowledge the enduring relationship between the land and its original caretakers since time immemorial. I also acknowledge the system of racial capitalism and the existing unpaid reparations for U.S. slavery. We all share the responsibility for addressing and undoing the lasting impacts of settler colonialism and racial capitalism.